You're listening to True HR, the podcast that offers up authentic conversations on all aspects of human resources for both individuals and organizations. With over 25 years of HR experience, your host, Shannon Clark Johnston, interviews established and emerging thought leaders about HR issues and trends. So sit back and get ready for conversations that are real, authentic, and true HR. Human resources and finance, perhaps the most underutilized relationship within a company's leadership team. Often at odds pursuing their respective agendas, if they can work together effectively, these two functions have the capacity to become a powerful force for organizational change. But with all the differences between them, how can they easily align their perspectives and work towards a common purpose? On this episode, our guest, Damian Finio, CFO at Fibro Animal Health Corporation, will discuss the challenges and synergies between these two functions. Join us and discover how leveraging shared interests can transform the HR and finance relationship into a true partnership. Hello, and welcome to Episode 5 of the True HR Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the partnership between human resources and finance. And I am super excited for you to hear from our guest on this topic, Damian Finio, CFO at Fibro Animal Health Corporation, and also, fun fact, a former colleague of mine. Damian's a Penn State grad and has an MBA from the University of Delaware. He has more than 30 years of experience and has been a CFO since 2009. He started his career at KPMG, then spent 14 years at AstraZeneca and another 10 at a variety of other pharmaceutical companies before becoming the CFO at Fibro Animal Health Corp. Damien, welcome to the True HR Podcast. Hi, Shannon. How Good to see you. Thanks I, for having me. No problem. I'm, I'm super excited because this is, this is so cool. We're, the topic we're talking about, we both worked in together like you were the you were the CFO you were my CFO I was your head of HR right we're partners me and you we're partners we we figured it all out right <laughs> now we're going to share it with the world and, and, yes and now we're going to share it with the world and um I'm I'm very excited to do that so I thought you know as we were kind of talking about what we were going to discuss I thought it might be a good idea to start with the maybe some history background on some of the differences between HR and finance, because it hasn't, it's not always been smooth sailing, right? So True. then we can like move into some similarities and then we'll talk about our common purpose and how, how well, we can, I'm sure, use some of our examples and how we found alignment and how sort of these two functions can coexist uh, together. Sound good? Sounds good. Yeah, sounds perfect. Awesome. So let's start with the obvious. HR and finance are just pretty different functions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so from an HR perspective, uh, I, I will say that a lot of the work that we do, it's not always quantifiable, right? So like if you take something like employee relations, for example, we coach, we counsel, we do interventions. And like you don't always know in HR if those interventions, you know, can be connected to the outcomes, did, did you right. avoid something, right? Did you? But but finance is absolutely quantifiable most of the time, wouldn't you say? 
Most of the time, I would say, yeah, we're, we're pretty black and white. And, you know, I know you and I have joked about it before, but, you know, HR people, generally speaking, aren't great at math. <laughs> I think that's part of it, you know. Well, well, but we do have feelings, unlike finance. A lot of feelings. Right. Yeah. We've got a lot of very strong feelings and uh, you're dead inside. So there's that, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think whether it's quantifiable or not, I think on the HR stuff, you know, you know, your gut's telling you that, that there's a positive impact or an unfavorable impact or whatever, right? But yeah, you're right. You can't put a finger on it. You can't put a number on it. And we finance folks like to put a number on something. Everything has to have a number. Right. And, and when I think connected to that and sort of what we just were joking about is that I think because the functions are so different, different personalities are attracted to those functions, right? So you use the you use the phrase like go with your gut or use something about the gut. And I think that's very true. And I think it's right. a it's um sometimes in some cases, not all, HR can be less objective, like a a very, you know, sort of clear connection. Uh, and finance is so much so, you know, it's like mm-hmm. spreadsheets and numbers and, you know, um, yeah. right. So. And I think one of those things, Shannon, too, it's like depending on the size of the organization, they have different views of what HR is or even what finance is. Right. So some people may think small company HR, like you're the comp and bend people. They may not know that you do like organizational development work or like training and development or leadership or change management and some of these other things that like bigger companies are accustomed to. It's same with finance, right? Because we have business partners, we've got tax people, we've got treasury people, there's pay, you know, there's all different functions within finance. So I think we get lumped together. Like finance is just finance and HR is HR. But we know within our specific functions, there's expertise or generalists, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no question. I mean, I, I don't want to go off on my my soapbox, but I, I think it's always so funny in some companies when HR reports up to finance. Like mm-hmm. this is very perplexing <laughs> to me because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, all of the differences and we still have more to, to say uh, on this. There's so many differences and there are two different perspectives, which I think can be healthy, by the way, mm-hmm. having two different perspectives. But it is kind of funny to me when I see that because I, th- I think I would even think of uh, more of an alignment with a general counsel or a COO, um, mm-hmm. you know, if one exists. So it, it is kind of funny with all the differences. There's still this kind of lumping together. And maybe it's because of what you're saying. There's, you know, support functions and maybe not completely understood. Yeah. And I think it depends on the CEO, whether the CEO wants uh, that function HR reporting into him or her or not. Right. As you know, I have led the HR function as reported into me in some of my roles. It does not right now, though. Um, but that's because another fallacy is people think everybody can do HR. So there you go. So <laughs> thank everybody can thank do you HR. for saying that. <laughs> I know. It's not totally true. But I've, when I've had HR report into me, I'm a big, which is why I'm here today, right? I think HR is super important. I've always had a good partnership with HR. And I actually enjoy it because sometimes I want to get away from the numbers. So, you know, not every accountant is uh, is uh, made the same either. So I've always had a, a general interest for it. I think it's a really um, interesting point that I'm wondering if other CFOs that have had that experience that you've had with HR reporting up to them change their perspective a bit or if it if it changes their viewpoint, even with money, you know, when you're in control of that number one resource, right, or number two, depending on who you ask, um, does it change your perspective? Because it sounds like it changed yours a bit. Yeah, I think it definitely did. I think you start to understand some of the complexities of being in HR, 
But I, you know, I wonder, are there any, um, you know, so there may be, let's say there's finance people who are HR wannabes. Are there like HR people that are finance wannabes? Like, does that exist? Like, do you secretly want to be in the finance department? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, you know, I think there are there are HR. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast on this. There are HR wannabes in a lot of areas. And I think it's because of what you just said. Like everybody mm-hmm. thinks they can do it. They don't understand that there's, you know, um, years of experience and skills and actual, actual degrees uh, that, you know, speak to it. <laughs> it doesn't mean, I, you know, I'm the only one that can do it. But I, I think there is obviously a, a skill set that I believe is uh, very specific to HR professionals. But I, I don't I don't know. I don't think I know any HR people that want to be in finance because I mean, and I think that's part of it, though. Like people might misunderstand the finance function, but they don't want to do it. Like they don't want to ask any questions because they don't have that expertise. Right. right. Now, do you find in your I know you're supposed to be asking me the question. But I'm going to ask you another question. Would you rather have your CFO or your finance partner like, you know, have an interest in HR? Is it better if they don't? And they'll just kind of listen to what you say and. Because you and I, you know, oftentimes you'll tell me and I have an opinion about what you said. Rather and than I'll just, say, I don't, I don't want that opinion. No. Rather, um, rather just accepting you're the expert in this field. Right? I think, I think a, absolutely. It's really, it's a great question. And I just was reading in preparation for this. I was reading online about a, a sort of a case study from McGraw-Hill from some years back where the CFO and CHRO uh, were hired from the outside. And then they were kind of what they described being thrown into a foxhole together. And the company was going through a massive restructuring and they aligned and they were very much uh, in touch, in constant um, iterations of their business plan. Um, and they would spend hours and hours and hours together. And at the end of the day, it resulted in a huge turnaround for the company, huge increase in profits. And they really sort of collectively agree it was this relationship that was the foundation. But, I, right. you know, I think with that, with any good relationship comes respect and trust and understanding that maybe there are things you know that I don't and vice versa. So it sounded like they had a great relationship. So I think if that respect and trust exists, absolutely, mm-hmm. I want somebody involved. I think right. when it it's approached in a way that's sort of, you know, n- not understanding that there, like I said before, is a real skill set in this and there is some real experience that comes with, um, you know, it's like anybody. I mean, you wouldn't want someone coming in and telling you, uh, you know, what they know or think about finance when they don't have that right. that background. Yeah, I've often said, like, if I have to work for a CEO, I'd rather it's actually easier to support a CEO who knows nothing about finance. Maybe they have like more of a scientific background mm-hmm. than someone who does, because sometimes when they do, though, it's challenging because they think they know everything about finance. And you're like, you know, so some, it, I, I've seen I've seen good of that. Yeah. Finance. Yeah. It can go both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I think, too, um, some of the reputations we have in terms of like they precede us. Right. Like. And I've been in cultures where HR can be viewed as super touchy-feely. What are you even talking Mm -hmm. about? Like, where, you know, where's the data? And then cultures where we've been viewed as sort of the enforcers and policy and policy and compliance and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think, I feel like finance has some of that too in terms of being maybe perceived as too rigid or don't you don't have any feelings or you know what what is what is your take on that in terms of reputation yeah. that you felt yeah it's a very topical question so just yesterday i had my team off-site actually and we did a, a disc assessment oh wow and if you look at us on the pinwheel and where we set up as where we where we laid out as a team uh, roughly speaking there was like 10 of us right eight of us were more task focused than people focused wow 
talked about, and that's probably typical of most finance leadership teams, right? That's why we got there because we're good at the numbers and the tasks and the financial part. And, you know, that's a real watch out for us as a team, right? Because in addition to being finance people who manage numbers, we're also leaders who manage people. So it's also part of our role as managers or leaders of the company, right? So that's, we were thinking about like if XYZ happens or there's this situation, like how can we lean on these two people on our team that actually do have feelings and like <laughs> and <laughs> talk, you know, how do we leverage their, their view and their perspective on like maybe pushing through a change in a process or a new initiative or implement a new system or whatever it may be where there's an impact on people. Because if you just put the eight of us in the room, like we may not think about that because because we don't have feelings and we don't care about people. Well, listen, I'm so impressed that you did DISC uh, as a team, as a finance team. I think that that alone is like that first step of being aware, like, hey, maybe I don't know everything. And that's, I mean, honestly, and, you know, for you and I, we didn't work together for very long, but one of the things I felt I got from you was that openness to, hey, maybe I don't know, I don't know something about this. Like, tell me about this because I'm seeing this. And we didn't always agree. But, right. you know, where there has to be an openness. Yeah. And I think we uh, we didn't always agree, but I think we had a good um, rapport where you could we could disagree, but still respect one another's opinion. I think that was helpful. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think I, in terms of another difference that's related to what we're talking about, I mm-hmm. think there is like a natural tension that exists between HR and finance. And I don't think it's all bad. I mean, I think there needs to be right, because who else is going to check the other side, like mm-hmm. you just said, to balance balance it out. And I think there's a perception that HR you probably just wants to spend money on, mm-hmm. whether it's talent attraction, talent retention, or whatever it is. Um, and then finance pushes back because I don't want to give you my money. And, you know, there's this whole thing. But I, I, I don't know. It, it can feel like interference, I guess. But um, I've always been super cognizant of budget. I guess it's mm-hmm. maybe how we how we decide to spend the money. But what's, what's been your experience in terms of that? I think where that tension to me comes up the most is probably around recruitment, right? Because I think, you know, well, I'll give you like real examples, right? Is that uh, you'll want to go use a, an agency and I'll say, you know, don't you have recruiters on staff? What, why are we paying them then? Like, why why do both? Like, that's, and you'll say, well, the manager really wants to fill the job really quick and then you know, cast a wider net. I have to go to this firm and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that just goes in one ear and out the other for me. So, you know, I think it's around that. And then I think the other one is like when we want to put the brakes on. So, and I think this is really, really pertinent right now, Shannon. So right now, as we all know, interest rates are up, inflation, blah, blah, blah. Companies are having to cut costs. And some of that may be a hiring freeze, as an example. But like, if you're the head of HR and you've got a recruitment team and you're like, well, what am I going to do with these three recruiters now for the next six months if I can't hire any of these people? Or I've got these candidates that are in the queue that I've been talking to for like a month and I'm getting ready to make an offer. And now you're telling me I can't, you know, and it's like that kind of dialogue around that, that like, you know, we don't want to bring on people and then what, lay them off like six months from now because we're not doing good. So I think right now, I bet you a lot of companies are going through that right now with their hiring plans. So it's not only hard to find people if they can find the talent, but right now it's like, they're like, can I afford the talent? Because everything is costing more than I thought it was going to and I'm falling short of my budgets. And that's like, we would have to work together on that, right? And say, how can we put on the brakes in like a thoughtful way um, to save money, but also maybe, you know, get the prioritize the hires that we have to do or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and I and you're right. I mean, it's obviously top of mind for a lot of a lot of HR and, and finance people right now. Um, and I think 
it touches on what we'll talk a little more about later, which is communication. And, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that has to be number one, uh, I think, between these two functions, I think across an organization, but between these two functions, especially for the, some of the reasons you just mentioned. Um, yeah. And I, I always found, you know, it would be I was always trying to well, when we worked together, we were in a unique sort of startup environment. And I always found that the managers didn't really have as great a concern for us, you know, how much money they were spending on people um, right. because they just wanted them in the door because we were growing, growing, growing. And like, it was like, get in here now. I don't care about internal equity, external equity, what have you. And then we created a mm-hmm. lot of problems for ourselves, um, right. right, when we didn't. So so I, I have found that on the on the flip side of sort of wanting to contain some of, the, some of those spends. Um, but I think at the end of the day, to your point, um, it's all about communication and having that communication first with your colleague and then making sure that's consistent down, you know, throughout the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my last difference, and I don't know if you have any more, but uh, I, you know, there's some timing issues um, sometimes with HR <laughs> initiatives and what finance might have, especially, I think, in a public company environment, right? Like you're yeah. really up against the wall with timing and finance. And then HR has got to get, you know, whether it's performance reviews or there's open enrollment going on. So tell me a little bit about your experience in that area as well. Yeah, I don't think I've had any examples where I haven't had this problem because, you know, HR's timing sucks. So, you know, it's like well, performance who's to say management. it's not your timing that might. <laughs> it has to be at the end of the year, right? Performance management. And I get why it is, right? But it's also the busiest time of the year for the finance department. Yeah. So, and some of the deadlines, you know, I like to preach that our deadlines, especially in a public company like where I am now, they're not flexible. The SEC mm-hmm. reports are due the day they're due. There's no like, oh, sorry, I'm working on performance management. <laughs> so it's hard. You know, Said no CFO, one ever. <laughs> hard, I'm trying to honor and respect my HR colleagues and tell my managers, my direct reports, hey, don't forget, you got to get so-and-so's performance review into the system by whatever date. And they're like, do you want me to do that? Or do you want me to make these, you know, close the books for blah, 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 you know? And it's like, you know, my answer is always, well, you have to do both. So sorry, you're going to have to work a little later and maybe work on the weekend. So it's just the timing of your processes and our processes overlap. And that's probably when there's the most tension is when you have a deadline and so do I, and it's the same deadline, but it's two completely different things, both of which are important. Right. And where we work for is not going to let either of us miss the date. Right. So, you know, that's where probably where communication, like you said, we'll talk about that later, but that's probably where it's key because, you know, we have to coordinate. Well, and in a case like that, because, you know, HR does get blamed sometimes for things <laughs> that um, are outside of our control. I think the first thing I would say to you is, well, then have, you know, have your performance management at a different time. But mm-hmm. a lot of what is driving the related compensation changes is budget, right? And like, when is the budget approved? And you've got to get the numbers to your board or something like that. So oftentimes the performance year itself is defined by, you know, outside of HR. And then, and then we're struggling too, because, you know, nobody wants to hear from us, like where are your reviews and so on and so forth. So it's sort of a trickle, Mm -hmm. a trickle effect. But um, I think, like you said, communicating and maybe figuring out some, you know, solutions outside of the box, uh, could help if you can change the performance, if you can separate the comp changes from the actual reviews or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, there's some things that we have to align on now, again, using my public company example, but this is true to private companies too. You may have a compensation committee. So the subcommittee of one of the board, right, of the board. And to go there, we have to make sure um, merit increases for the next year get approved. 
Um, the bonuses for the prior year are approved, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So I, I can't make those presentations without information from HR, the HRS team or whatever system you're using. So that information actually doesn't come from my team in finance. It comes from the HR team. So we have to work together on those kind of things at that same time that we're trying to do performance management and this other stuff. So Right, right. Yeah, I worked with a, a very large board and then a subcommittee of the, uh, the board at one of my in one of my other roles. And um it was tough because, you know, you had to get you had to start talking about this in, I don't know, August, September. Um, and then they had a timeline in terms of the board meeting approval in February. And so everything was really driven by all of these these meetings, again, mm -hmm. that are kind of outside both of our control. But um, but nonetheless, yeah. you got to work with it. So so yeah. timing timing can definitely be an issue that could create some tension. I think there's one other thing I was thinking of, Joe, I agree. And it's like not I'm trying to think of more examples. I only came up with one. Like some uh, some uh, arguments around scope of our roles and boundaries. So, like my my one example is payroll. So I feel like me and you may have had that, right? I think payroll reported into you, and I'm like, why is payroll reported report into finance? So sometimes it's in finance, sometimes it's in right. HR. There's some companies where I want it to report into me, and other ones I'm like, actually, you know what? Go ahead, HR. Go at it. Have your fun. Right. Payroll. payroll right. Yeah. You you could literally I think it's almost split right down the middle. Fifty fifty. I feel like some it's it's either in finance or HR. But I always right. think there's always a connection no matter yeah. what, because even if it sits in in finance, there's time management issues. Right. There's a, like sort of making yeah. sure that's all aligned. Um, and if it sits in HR, then finance is the approver of the fine. You know, so there's always that connection. Which yeah. which can you know sometimes create some tension as well, which we might have, we might have had <laughs> at one point, but I've forgotten all of that. Okay. Um, so, but there's similarities. There's lots of similarities. I feel like we've kind of touched on a few. Yeah. We, right. We're both we're both support functions. Uh, we don't generate revenue. We can sometimes be viewed as the bad guys. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but but you know, and we support the company's two most important resources: people and people and money. People and money. People You're right. Money. Can't do anything without them. Right. Do you yeah. feel like sometimes finance is is viewed as as the bad guy, and if so, like in what what has been your experience and what circumstances? Obviously, yeah, you don't give people yeah. the money they want, but yeah, it, it does really depend. But I think yeah, definitely, especially in time when times are tough and you have to cut budgets and people don't understand. Like, well, I thought you approved my budget and now you're cutting my budget. I thought you know, and you're like, yeah, but a hundred other factors changed, and you know, as a company, we have to get back to our numbers. So sometimes you know, we have to be the ones to give bad news and to uh, you know cut expenses where people don't want to. Um, and I think we'll get viewed by the businesses. Well, you don't understand the business or like, if we don't do this marketing campaign, I can't, then I can't sign up to that sales number or whatever. And I feel like HR is the same thing. If you have to pull back on headcount or recruitment or whatever, it's like, you don't understand and you're putting pressure on people. I'm going to lose more people if we can't hire this job, et cetera. So right. I think sort of um, sometimes I think you and I, and I've done this with other HR people, um, we just have to support one another almost like emotionally, right? Because like mm -hmm. we both walk into the same room, we get beat up, and then we walk back to our offices and we feel bad and we have to commiserate with somebody. Right. Uh, <laughs> Someone who understands <laughs> us. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I think some of it's uh, emotional support uh, because we're up against similar challenges and similar people that we're dealing with. Yeah, I agree. And I think when there's a tension and when there's sort of an adversarial relationship between the two, it's just like another difficulty, right? Instead of being a support for one another. And, and you know, um, 
and whatever that looks like, you know, for for that for the particular two people. But it can just be like you said, leaving the room, and being like, "Oh my God, can you can you believe that?" Or, you know, yeah. I got this pushback, and it and it really is helpful because when you feel like, you know, your colleagues aren't um, supportive. You know, it's one thing to go into a boardroom or a town hall meeting and get beat up, but another another with your colleagues. Yeah. And I think sometimes we try to share like some best practice, like, you know, we're, you're trying to influence and, and, and get a decision made by the same people that I'm trying to influence exactly. and get a decision made by. So I may say how, you know, how, how I have to approach, you know, John Doe tomorrow. Uh, I'm thinking of this. What do you think? And you'd be like, actually, that wouldn't work for him. He likes PowerPoint presentation. He doesn't want a spreadsheet or whatever. Right. You know, just little tricks of the trade like that, because again, you're working with the same people that I am. So I've always found that pretty helpful. And plus, since you're more of a people person than me, you're more in tune with these maybe body language and some of those touchy emotions. feelings. Yeah. <laughs> emotions, <laughs> I feelings. That maybe I didn't think about, right? I don't so know. I think I mean, you've, got, you've got feelings. I, I feel like you yeah. have some. I, I, I think that's why we've gotten along. Yeah, because, you know, I love HR. Right, right. I have a mug that says that. Oh, where'd you get that from? Hmm, Um, Let me think. Um, (laughs) I hope you still use it. I totally do. (laughs) You know, and you mentioned budget. So I want to talk about that for a second, because this to me is one of the like pain points for both of us. And I, I think it's totally underestimated in terms of something that drives both positive and negative behaviors in an organization. Because mm. when no departmental budgets exist, the, the um, leaders of those departments lack accountability um, for the spend. So when you talk about, you know, hiring talent, well, they don't, they're not really concerned necessarily at the outset of how much they're going to spend on that person because they don't have to meet a particular number right? right they're not they're maybe you're managing in the back end to a to a larger budget and mm-hmm. things that i've seen are you know immigration is one mm-hmm. example where you know managers people leaders will start hiring a lot of people that require sponsorship and not realize what mm-hmm. that expense really looks like over the the lifetime of that sponsorship and then yeah. they start getting legal bills you know or they're sending that person off to travel or you know, they have to pay for the transfer of the visa or whatever the case may be. And they are not um, understand. They didn't understand what that really meant. And it's not to say you should or shouldn't hire people that require sponsorship. It's just about being aware and accountable if you're going to. And, you know, I've just seen where, you know, there's no departmental budgets in place. Then it just it keeps HR and I'm sure finance. But you can tell me kind of in a constant catch up with this. Hey, you got to be aware that if you're going to hire this person, such and such mm-hmm is going to be the case down the road and and kind of drive that ownership. And I think, I think finance and HR could really work together on that. Um, And I don't want to say that. This is a tricky one, right? Because for, for most companies, the compensation line item is, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest expense item in the budget. Right. And in some companies that monitor that line item by using headcount only, Others use compensation dollars only, and some have like a combination headcount and mm-hmm, dollars. Mm-hmm. Some may say it's just dollars, and so you can hire as many people as you want, but this is how much you can spend on them. Others will say, well, we don't want a fixed cost, which is a permanent headcount that you know takes a while to let go and severance and all that. And some do both, and then and there's not one size fits all. So I think our similarity is we're both trying to like manage that line item by supporting other people, mm-hmm. but every company does it a little bit differently. So I think 
Um, understanding how the company should manage that line item, I guess, whether it be headcount, headcount in dollars, or you know, one or the other, whatever. I think that's that's a tricky part. But my so question is, like, don't yeah. you think the leader of that department should be managing that? Like have yeah. their own budget to manage too? Yeah, I'm a big fan of accountability on budgets. So if you don't give people account, if there's no consequences to hitting your budget or not, then no one no one cares, right? Because at the end of the day, they know they'll, they'll get beat up more if they miss their deliverable than if they are over budget. Right, and you'll have to explain it. You'll have to right. explain it to somebody else right. down the road. Yeah. yeah, it'll be like I didn't budget it wrong, or, or I budgeted it wrong. I didn't estimate what it was going to cost, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I mean that's the world I came from before I started, yeah. you know, working in, in smaller yeah. startups. It's sort of like here's your budget, manage to it. If you need to go over it for any reason, you need to really yeah. support it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. just a little, just a little, um, I think, pain point. It's not a little pain point, but a pain point that can really you can really help one another in finance and HR. I think on the on the budget. Yeah, the accountability drives behaviors that you want, right? Right, right. So we've got a lot of differences. We've got a lot of similarities, right? So how do we align and and find that common purpose? And you know, where do you start? Like, let's say you're an HR professional listening to this, and mm-hmm. you don't have a great um, partnership with mm-hmm. finance. Um, what are some areas that you uh, think would be helpful to start? Like, where would you start? Hey, I really need to create this partnership, enhance this partnership. What would you suggest? Where would I start? So I think um, one is just to be proactive, I think, right? And reach out to your uh, finance person. So don't wait for them to come to you because remember, they're probably not a people person. So you're going to have to go to them. (laughs) I think, you know, I would start, we're, we're very process oriented people, most of us, right? And we think about workflow and things like that. So at the end of the day, we're trying to, to work with you. I think we would start with like, I would start with like, tell me about, you know, how does on, like if I'm new to a company and you know, I've come to a couple of different companies in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. I'll say, I'll sit down with the HR partner and say, talk, walk me through like, all right, so manager, like how do we hire? And then you'll talk about how we go through the hiring process. And I'll say, all right, so now the person started, you gave them an offer, they start on first day. What does onboarding look like? What are the onboarding materials? And I would go through that. And I'd want to see, like, is there materials in there that are specific to finance, like expense reimbursement? Or maybe they have a signature authority and they need to know about approving purchase orders. Maybe they're a budget holder and we have to talk to them about what are their responsibilities as a budget holder. So I would kind of start with like, I'm kind of work my way through the life cycle, you know, of an employee mm-hmm. and find out where are those, you know, touch points. Where those touch points are. So yeah. what could be, what would be like the worst thing an HR professional could do, say, or how they could act that would really be disruptive to forming that partnership with them? What would, what would you say, don't do this if you're trying to develop a relationship with your CFO? Hmm. Don't do this. That's a good one. I think um, it's back to that thing about math, I think. I think um, maybe the stereotype is that maybe you don't understand the business part. So I think if you come in and you're more kind of got your um, blinders on and you're like so focused on HR, 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 not recognizing the reason we have people and the reason you're there is because the company has goals and objectives. You know what I mean? Like if you put the HR objectives over the corporate ones, okay, um, I think that that would be bad. Okay. Because finance, you know, we say, you know, put your board of directors hat on, mm-hmm. act like you own the company or whatever. And that's what drives your decisions. Like what's best for the company. It's not what's best for the finance department. Mm-hmm. 
So I'd have people say like, well, you know, something about, well, if we have to close a day earlier, you know, it's really going to, that's really going to be a problem for my employees or something. I'd say, but yeah, but the company one, like we need to, the company, it's better. Like if you said things like that and gave examples where you're trying to protect your department, not recognizing the value it would have to the company. Um, to me, that's just like a disconnect between like running your function and being a leader of the right. company as well. Like you have a dual role. You got to run your department, but you also are part of the team yeah. that's running the company. So switching, switching that question around a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a colleague in another company, head of finance, VP or CFO, and they're like, I can't get along with this HR person. Mm-hmm. The HR is just, I don't know what to do with them. I don't feel a partnership at all. What what advice would you give to your fellow finance? Um, Man, I think you just have to have that one-on-one conversation, I think. I think then I would tell the finance person to be proactive. Maybe take them out to lunch or something there. You know, get them off site for a bit. Go for breakfast. Go get a cup of coffee. And just say, we need to work together. And we can help one another. And I think I'd try to point out those things where we can help. Where, you know, just explaining that uh, I'm not your enemy here and we'd both be better off if we could work better together. So I think you got to use your charm and powers of influence. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, (laughs) what do you think they need to know about HR? What do your people know? what What would that finance person need to know about HR? I think that, you know, you were, you were, you were dealing with similar pressures. You're dealing with similar people. You also have deadlines. Like your world's not super simple. It is more complicated than, you know, they may think Right. dealing with issues. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes, um, you guys have a tough day where you're dealing with like employee, employee relation issues or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to separate, you know, like if, if you're hearing somebody's, I don't know, sick and they're upset because they're, their benefits are coming to an end or something like that. Right. And you have, that's like hard, right. Cause you're impacting somebody's life and stuff. So that's a tough conversation and a tough day for you. So I think, you know, just recognizing that you're dealing with stuff that you're not even privy to tell us about probably because it's all right. right. Uh, but that, you know, that wears on you and that's, that's tiring and exhausting. Oh, hard thank to, you, Damien. That's yeah, so that's I'm, I'm a feeling guy. I think you're right. You do have some feelings we've uncovered. Yeah. I'm going to retitle this episode. Finance has feelings. That's right. <laughs> well, as you, as you know, I'm married to HR, so I know some of these things, right? I, I do know I, that. This is maybe I learned a little bit more than your average finance person about what actually goes on behind the scenes of your HR profession. I I mean, I think that's 100% true. There's no question that, you know, you've absorbed something, right, from from being married to someone who's been dealing with this for um, her entire career as well. And Mm -hmm. so you have this kind of inside, inside insight into the world of HR that probably your average CFO doesn't have. That's right. right. And I think she has this insight into the finances. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, go, it goes both ways. So your advice would be go marry someone in HR. <laughs> that's a good one. If, all, if like everything else doesn't work, that's not a bad option. Just, just, it's worked out. For yeah. me, so. <laughs> I love that. Well, and I and I also think that, uh, you know, what's worked and this is not just true just of, you know, HR and finance. But, you know, I think when you have a disconnect, sometimes finding a common um, initiative, project, pilot, or something to work on together um, yeah. can also be really helpful. Um, you know, so whether it's the salary review process, salary, you know, um, talent talent, talent uh, re- attraction and re- recruitment, mm-hmm. you know, all those things 
Um, and coming, you know, coming together and saying, hey, listen, I'm seeing this, um, you know, like take that immigration example I used before. Like, what do you think we can do to mm-hmm. educate people more on, uh, you know, in terms of what they're what they're actually hiring financially when they take mm-hmm. on somebody like that? So I always say, you know, try to find some common ground. And I think there's a lot of it between the two functions. I think there's a ton because I think any company, regardless of size and where they are in their life cycle, right? There's some there's some change project going on or some improvement project going on. Mm-hmm. And any of those projects, right? They have a budget, they're impacting dollars, they're impacting roles and responsibilities, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's change management issues that may or may not have to happen. So like there, I think on any of these projects, there's finance and HR should always have a seat at any of these things. Um, and I think that's, there's always something going on where you could say, you know, let's get, let's make sure we have a seat at the table on that one. Yeah. And, and work together. And I think that's where you can show your value to your business partners and your internal clients. And then you'll get asked uh, to sit at the table the next time a project comes up. Right. So, I mean, I can think of hundreds of projects like that that are going on. It could be like a new ERP system or just a, like you're switching to from one system to another. Mm-hmm. All those things impact roles and responsibilities and stuff like that. And And I I do think in this bad economy, Shannon, there's a lot more opportunities because I'm really curious to see what companies do in the next, you know, 12 months because the interest rates aren't coming down anytime soon and the cost of capital is higher, right? So they're going to have to start making some tough decisions, which just means there's going to have to be changes and it's going to impact all HR functions and finance functions. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that even though we're both not uh, uh, revenue generating functions, you know, in my role, and I hope you remember this, I've been able to save, you know, money in certain areas. I think benefits is an area with a lot of low hanging fruit. Right. And so if you can, as an HR um, professional, not just, you know, not just to show finance, you can save money, but the organization as a whole and bring that value. I think that's um, really important and certainly something any good CFO would get behind. Right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, we don't generate revenue, but both of us can avoid cost, which right. has the same impact on the bottom line, right? They both improve the bottom line. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. Well, I love all of your guidance and advice, um, being proactive and, um, you know, all of the other pieces that we've talked about in terms of fostering this partnership. So before I wrap up, I just wanted to kind of, I usually like to get some closing thoughts from guests. Do you have any anything you'd like to share with uh, with the audience? Yeah, the one thing we didn't touch on, which I think, again, is pretty topical right now, and it's kind of near and dear to my heart. So, you know, my current role, in addition to being a CFO, I am the, the chairman of our ESG council. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. So, um, again, it applies more to public companies, but not, not so much. But um, essentially, you know, up to this point, investors have always used things like 10Qs and 10Ks or some sort of financial statement to make investment decisions. This generation behind us, I mean, I don't want to date you and I, but I know we're very similar age, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 21 and 25-year-old daughter. The things that are important to them are different than what we grew up with. And right. things like social issues, diversity, um, the environment, greenhouse gas emissions, fossil fuels, like these kinds of things, right? So ESG are reports that companies are putting out um, that, um, that kind of highlight some of these things for the company. Now, if you put yourself in the SEC's shoes, they have full control over what companies put in 10Qs and 10Ks, and everything has to be audited by your external auditors. They have no control over what's in ESG reports. So as people are using those reports just as much as they are Qs and Ks, 
to make investment decisions, you can imagine they want to start having some, some control over that information. So what's happening is they're taking some of the key metrics that are in those ESG reports and starting to require them to be included in 10 Qs and 10 Ks. So it's within their scope. Um, some of those materials come 100% from the HR department. So mm-hmm. it's things like turnover. It's things like um, the average hourly wage. It's diversity metrics, which are pretty specific to the U.S., at least as it relates to ethnicity, but as it relates to gender, it's global. So, again, I don't have that kind of information in my function, in the finance function. It's in the HR team. So that means the rigor that you put around um, making sure that information accurate is the same kind of rigor that I put over the financial stuff, which is like a whole new discipline for HR. And it's one more way for, I think, finance and HR to partner. So even if you're not a public company, um, the, the principles of ESG are more and more important to whoever's backing your company. And it could be a private equity firm or, or it could be a family that owns it or whatever it is. These are the things that consumers care about. Um, and I think they're just going to care more about this stuff as time goes on. Because let's face it, it's 2022. We're on a post-pandemic world. Knock wood, right? It's not 2019 anymore. And stuff has changed. And, and people's priorities have changed. So I think that's had an impact on our respective functions and will continue to have an impact. I mean, it sounds to me like it's the ultimate kind of merging of finance and HR, right? Because investors yeah. are making decisions on companies, not just the bottom line, not right? They're not looking just that. And to your point, the workplace yeah. is still shifting and changing, and we'll see how that all shakes out. But um, now they're looking at these other factors. They're just, just as important. Right. So, yeah. So these human capital metrics are going to make their way into a, a 10Q or a 10K disclosure. Yeah. Um, and probably in the next like year or two, depending on when your company's year end is. So that's all new. Well, all and to your stuff. point, I think it's a great, um, not just for public companies, although that's where it will be required, but it's probably a great practice for any organization, right, to look at those measures uh, collectively. Yeah, and I think, you know, our we put out our first ESG report um, in June um, of this year. And what we found is what our HR team uses it actually as an attraction tool for talent. Mm-hmm. Because what a great thing to bring a per, give to a perspective. Because if you give them a 10Q or 10K, right? It goes right. Them <laughs> Unless they're in but the finance department. Report, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, there's anecdotal stories about things we've done in certain communities where we've sort of supported the community or done something good for the environment. Um, there's there's metrics around our, our greenhouse gas emissions. There's metrics around the percentage of males and females and, and breakdown of ethnicity and all this stuff. It's like, you know, as a candidate, you don't want to ask that in the interview necessarily. Right. But it's information that candidates would love to have to make a, make a decision. So they really used it um, to, like, impress candidates and say, this is the company, this is the culture that you would be joining. These are the things that we value and we care about. And no financial report would ever do that. So like no. this has wide-reaching impact, these kind of metrics for people. And I think it could, you guys could use it in a lot of ways to help. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like the annual report will include some mention of stuff. some yeah. stuff, right? But this sounds way more detailed and it's also metrics. So it's sort of this objective look um, mm-hmm. at the organization, but through a different lens. And I and I love that. Yeah, um, I, I know that I saw your... Um, I think I saw your post of, of for your ESG on LinkedIn. Um, was, if yeah. people are looking to check this out just to see an example of it, um, can they f- find it on your company's website or? Yeah, sure, I'll give a shameless plug. So our <laughs> website is uh, www.pahc.com, pahc.com. 
And it's two places on our website, actually. It's in the investor section of our website, and it's one of the featured presentations. You can download a PDF. But it's also on the responsibility section of our website as well. And I would say most companies, uh, certainly public companies, it's going to be in one or both of those two places on their websites as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's great because I'm sure people want to just at least see an example if they haven't seen one already. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Well, Damien, this has been fun. It's been fun. It feels like you're still my CFO partner. Um, the old days. <laughs> the olden <laughs> days. They were like four years ago, but it, yeah, it does feel really like that long ago. Yeah, I sort of did the calculation. Um, yeah. yeah it's a two-year pandemic. You got to keep factoring in this. Like, it feels like it was only two years ago because those two years where we were all in isolation didn't really happen. I totally agree with you. I, the whole timing is all uh, different now. Well, you never know, though. It, it's, a, it's a small world. You know, I've certainly crossed paths with people more than once in my in my career here. So you never know. That's right. As long as you don't have, put your wife in the role that, you know, like wherever you go next. Well, I want to wish you luck in your business, your business venture. I'm glad you had me on today. I wish that, I hope it's going well. You know, I'm always here to help as your finance contact. Thank you, Damien. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure having you on. And uh, I think that's it for this episode of the 2HR podcast. Thanks, Damien. Well, that does it for another episode of True HR. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested in learning more from True HR, head over to our website at true-hr.com, where you can sign up to receive free tools and resources and learn more about our coaching and consulting services. 